After a small rattle and clank, the Arsenal engine is running smoothly again. The Gunners five points clear of Manchester City in the title race, which is 13 games to go. Mikel Arteta's men have put together a three-match winning streak in the league. This weekend, they take on a Bournemouth side that was just taken apart by their title rival City. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. No potential breakdowns for my top tipping team, starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark, you impressed by how Arsenal have shaken off that recent defeat at home to City? I am, yes, because I think the City defeat was the, the third of three matches which they, they failed to win after beating Manchester City. Uh, started with that defeat to Everton in Goodison Park uh, in Sean Dyche's first game. Then they were held to, to a draw at Brentford where they did really impress and then obviously lost to City. Uh, and you felt that might be the turning point in their campaign. But to, to bounce back from three tricky-ish games on paper, particularly the Aston Villa match and the manner of the victory at Villa Park, um, just a, a huge galvanising effect for their title challenge. And then to go to Leicester, uh, admittedly a Leicester team without James Madison, but just to, to shut them out in the manner they did. I think Leicester had one shot or at least one shot on target, well, one or the other. Um, very, very impressive. And then again, midweek against Everton um, were probably a little sloppy in the early stages. Everton had a couple of opportunities to, to make them pay, didn't. And then um, sort of towards the second, towards the end of the first half, they really sort of put their foot down and showed their class and showed their confidence in the second half too to run away with the game. So yeah, very impressed. A five-point advantage, but still the, the market isn't completely convinced that they are going to be the title winners. Despite being five points clear, um, they're still just a shade of odds on, 1.98 on the exchange. Uh, clearly that match at the Etihad, the reverse game against Manchester City could be the real key one. Uh, City will be uh, firm favourites to win that fixture and obviously then the, the gap between the two teams would just be two points. But um, I think if you look at the fixtures coming up, Arsenal have got some winnable games starting with Bournemouth at the weekend. Then they go away to Fulham, Palace at home, Leeds at home, uh, and then Liverpool away, which will obviously be a, a big game, which is where they traditionally come a cropper. So um, they'll be keen to sort of put their foot down now and pick up 12 points before going to Anfield and, and sort of reaffirm that title challenge too. Trader and tipster par excellence, Emmett O'Keefe is with us once again. Emmett, as Mark says, Arsenal up against Bournemouth. It's hard to see anything but a home win, isn't it, really? Definitely, yeah. I think it's it's kind of um, as Mark was saying, kind of get any kind of fears that kind of a bad run would kind of would snowball for Arsenal have have been dispelled. I think the as well. I've kind of just just I think we've seen throughout this season um, how kind of well Edu and Mikel Arteta are kind of working in lockstep, and how the say like when they were priced out of a move for Moises Caicedo in January, they didn't spend over the odds, like, for example, Chelsea would have, and bought in Jorginho on a reasonable reasonable deal, and he's contributing. Similarly, they were in for Mikela Mudrik. They felt the price was too much, and so they and so they went for a reasonable alternative in uh, Leandro Trossard, and he's contributing positively. So I think it's clear, Arsenal are clearly kind of a well-run well, well operation. We're kind of, we are see, seeing that out in the pitch. Just for the game this week, I just thought they were slightly sh- short price. Listen, I'm I don't expect Bournemouth to win, but just we, I think we Bournemouth have are going to win 5-0. You heard it, heard it here first. Edmonton O'Keefe says Bournemouth are going to win. Yeah, no, just is Bour- that not it? <laughs> and Bournemouth have improved from a, a low base, a little very low base of being the worst team in the league to merely more of kind of a relegation struggler. Just specifically, they signed um, 
Dango Watara f- from Ligon, and he looks, I think, quite a good player, a player who's probably be- be- better than Bournemouth, I would say, and could have since, and Dominic Slanky's kind of come back from injury. And uh, um, so, so since the January, the end of the January window, they deservedly held Newcastle to a home draw, beat Wolves at Molyneux, and actually against City last weekend, they had 13 shots and 1.47 expected goals. So they're, they're not, they're not quite the kind of the cannon fodder you, you, that they're, that the Arsenal's price of 1.25 might indicate. They have a rest advantage on Arsenal with Arsenal having a free midweek. As Marco Harris said, Arsenal were actually a bit fortunate not to concede against Everton. So listen, I, I, I think the, the way I would get with Bournemouth is just both teams to score. It's currently around 2.38 in the exchange. I thought that, 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 that looked a little big. I'd have it maybe closer to kind of maybe, Two, two, 2.2. I could see this being a game maybe where Bournemouth are competitive in stretches, but Arsenal maybe win kind of 3 1, 3 1 or 4 1. And last but not least, the master of the sustainable edge, tipster and odds compiler Mark Stinchcombe is with us. Stinch, just talking generally about the title race odds. I know Mark alluded to it there that Arsenal just a shade of odds on the 1.97 favourite. City 2.3 right now. Third place Manchester United about 17. Do those prices make sense to you? Does that feel reasonable, that set of quotes? Um, It's interesting, as Mark says, you know, Arsenal five points clear yet kind of only 1.98 when we talked about the odds a few weeks ago Man City were 1.6 after they'd wrestled back the the top of the pile so yeah basically I think it all comes down to that game at the the Etihad um, in, in my mind every time I think especially a couple of weeks ago every time I think City are back on track they seem to throw in a bit of a wobbly you know they they dominated that game against Forest um, but only came away with a point which obviously a to, to drop two points in, in those circumstances was, was was terrible. And and obviously Arsenal, I, I mean, I said it since the beginning of the year, really, um, was expecting a drop-off without Gabriel Jesus. But the way they've kind of managed his his absence has been fantastic. And the fact that Arteta seems to have found a, a role for Trossard, just playing as like yeah. a sort of false nine to maybe add a bit of experience over over Enketia who who has scored a lot of go- of goals especially crucial ones you think of the the couple against man united in in particular in in a game they dominated so yeah i mean mark's spoken about it a lot as well arsenal putting up similar numbers to man city um it's probably just the fact that you know man city have been so dominant for such a long period that that's kind of holding Arsenal's price up. Um, but as I said previously, I, I just, I can't read either of the, of these teams. So um, yeah, it's not one that I'd, I'd want to get involved in, um, but I've, I could fully understand why maybe people would want to, to back Arsenal. Uh, maybe, maybe um, one train of thought could be to back Arsenal now um, with, as Mark mentions, their like reasonable run of fixtures and then look to perhaps trade out when they come up against Arsenal at the Etihad. If you're of the opinion, of course, that um, you know you do think Man City will will pick up the three points in that game, but uh, yeah, I think it's just it's just good for the neutral, right? That we do have yeah. a, a title race essentially. Um, but from a betting perspective, I just think there's so much volatility. Uh, I don't know whether Emmett's back in Man United at 17, but uh, I'm not sure if their fixture congestion can cope with it. Emmett, are you backing Manchester United at 17? No, again, my excitement's been building in in the last few weeks. But as the lad said, I think as we kind of saw against West Ham last night, my United squad isn't actually that strong. Like they had to resort to bring bring on Casemiro and Rashford to kind of to to 
to, to save them to save them against West Ham. It was kind of a reminder of kind of bad times gone by when Mikel Antonio was skinning uh, Lindelof and Harry Maguire at centre half. So I think, yeah, I think it's I think United. I think but still, I think they wouldn't take it. But I think most United fans will be happy enough we're just get we're just getting a champions league place and and hopefully winning maybe one of the two two remaining cups uh, making up the ground given the competitions they're in and the squad at their disposal seems like it seems like a long shot and of course that lovely shiny league cup that's already in the cabinet we're making a few changes by the way to our great daily offers here at betfair you now have to opt into promotions to enjoy the rewards available on the sportsbook and exchange you can opt in quickly and easily by clicking a promotion banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking opt-in. There's a step-by-step guide on betting.betfair.com. Now, we always seem to praise Crystal Palace on this show, but the question is, are they sleepwalking into a relegation battle? They're just six points above the drop zone. They've won just six times in the league all season. Emmett, they go to Aston Villa on Saturday. Are things going to improve? Because I know there's been this big shift of style. They're fun. They've got good young players, but they don't win. They don't score goals either. Like the yeah, it's um, <laughs> apart I, it's from hard. that, they're great. Apart from that, they're great. Exactly. I, I watched um, watched the game against Liverpool. The one thing that did stand out is that I think Michael Elise has an outstanding talent. I think the for for player his age, I think that some of his kind of goals and assist numbers are 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 excellent. And I think he just like in a Palace team lacking the guys he was with, like 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 Jordan Ayew and Mateta. These guys I don't think are really Premier League quality. And Elise they are, was at least carrying the fight to Liverpool. And if I watched Palace in recent weeks, Elise. Is, is there is their main bright spot in attack? The only thing I'd say in Palace's favour is that Wilfred Zaha might be back for this game, but he's had a hamstring injury, and uh, he's been back for a number of weeks. So I just I was kind of surprised Villa were as big a price as they are, but I would suggest that that is positive because the market expects Zaha to come back, and at least with him and Elise, you have some form some form of attacking threat. I would definitely lean Villa in terms of the match betting, but the bet I liked more was kind of Ollie Watkins to score any time around 15 to 8. Watkins is in a real purple patch at the moment. He's a goal in each of his last five Premier League matches, despite some kind of strong opposition uh, in that run, including Man City and Arsenal. We saw last last weekend he's actually on penalty duty as well with uh, Danny Ings departing, so that, that makes an even more appetising bet. So yeah, I'd much rather back Ock Watkins to score 15-8 to eight against one of the worst sides of the Premier League rather than kind of back, back in Villa to win or any even money. Yeah, Watkins absolutely flying at the moment. To the south coast then, and Southampton dumped out of the FA Cup by Grimsby and their fish-wielding supporters in midweek. They face Leicester on Saturday evening. Mark O'Hare, this feels like a game that the hosts really do need to win. They were abject against Grimsby. I know it was a scratch side and they kind of messed about with the team, but they were rubbish. They were. They've been rubbish for for a while as well, really. Um, especially at St Mary's, which is perhaps a bit of a surprise because it's probably been a bit of a stronghold for them in recent Premier League campaigns. But I know it's it can be a bit of a, a soulless arena down there on the south coast when the fans aren't really on your side, and uh, perhaps that's uh, paid its part really. But uh, they're winless in eight Premier League games at St Mary's. They've lost six of those, uh, including each of the last five. Um, they've never actually lost six consecutive home games in league football in their history. So uh, this weekend could be quite a historic occasion for them if they were to get turned over by Leicester. I certainly wouldn't be backing Saints to to beat the Foxes this weekend. Uh, They were desperately poor last weekend in the Premier League against Leeds with their best 11 out or or their best available 11 out. Um, Gavin Bazunu's form in goal has been called into question again. Feels really harsh 
considering he's just 21 in his debut Premier League campaign, um, obviously uh, Irish international. So we, we all kind of hope him to to succeed. But um, the defence in front of him hasn't been exactly uh, or hasn't exactly excelled either. But um, you look at the sort of post-shot XG figures in the Premier League, which is um, a measurement we've talked about numerous times, uh, how you can possibly rate goalkeepers. He has the second poorest return uh, in the top flight. Uh, basically, he's basic, the numbers basically suggest he, he could have uh, prevented 11 goals more than uh, than Southampton have conceded. Which well, is, Junior uh, Theopo's winner last weekend was scrappy at best, wasn't it, really? Exactly. I mean, he hit it right-footed Theopo, about as well as I would hit a shot, to be honest, because somehow managed to sneak its way through. It was pretty dreadful. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it's not the only occasion that's happened this season either. So Saints have kept just two clean sheets now all season in the Premier League. And definitely cannot see them keeping Leicester out. Uh, but what I would say is um, what happened obviously midweek is a huge embarrassment to the club and the position they're in is a huge embarrassment. They're four points away from safety. There's no other option for them but to, to play front foot football from here and try and win matches to sort of gain their survival. You look elsewhere, uh, teams are upgrading in their sort of managerial or coaching setups or they've signed strongly in January or showing a bit of form recently. Saints aren't, um, so they have to start playing a bit more proactively. Uh, but what you would say is eight of their 11 home games this season have seen both teams score. Um, they don't often fail to score at St Mary's despite their poor form. Just six blanks in 30 since the start of last season. And uh, I guess we talk about Leicester every week, it feels like, uh, about goals, really. And uh, if you look at since the World Cup break, Leicester are giving up 2.06 expected goals on average per game, which is a, a horrendous figure. So I think both teams to score stands out there immediately at around 1.82. Uh, but also like Leicester, uh, plus zero on the Asian handicap, uh, 1.94, basically the draw no bet. Uh, they're, they've been pretty strong operators uh, against uh, bottom half opponents this season and also James Madison is due back and that's just a, a huge influence for the Foxes. Uh, the record with and without him is, is quite significant actually. Since the start of last season they've won 41% of their Premier League games with him uh, averaging 1.8 goals. When he doesn't start it drops to 17% win rate uh, averages, averaging just one goal per game as well. So that's a massive drop off and uh, as we saw last weekend without Madison they produced their lowest XG figure for years. I think Jusby Hall's off-target effort was there their only shot of the whole game, which came from outside the box as well. So they didn't give Arsenal any problems whatsoever. But, um, you know, they've got a good record at St Mary's. Obviously, we all remember the big infamous 9-0 from a few years ago. So uh, they'll fancy their chances, but uh, their away games just tend to be just wild, wild, wild affairs. 4.08 goals per game on average across their 12 road trips this season. Nine of them have gone over two and a half goals. Leicester have scored in 10 of the 12. They scored twice or more in seven of those 12 but just kept three clean sheets as well. So, yeah, expect Leicester to score a couple and possibly pick up a win, but both teams to score and uh, the draw in a bit angle would be my plays here. Yeah, Leicester let me down badly the other day at Old Trafford. If they'd scored a goal, I would have had a lovely winner. But that's a different story for another time. Relatively short hop from Southampton to Brighton, but things couldn't be much more different. Brighton fighting for European qualification, four points off the top six with games in hand, and they've got relegation threatened West Ham. Stinch, what's the angle here? Well, it might be a bit boring for regular listeners. No, it... never. Neither. I've wins <laughs> I, I think it's just keep backing overs in brighton games especially i mean it's chalked up as 50 50 um they're both the, the odds are set just under 10 to 11 the pair over two and a half goals under two and a half goals i don't really see anybody back in under two and a half goals with sort of a genuine sort of you know reasoning behind it or mathematical edge um we all know all about what deserves did 
done previously to Brighton and it's very similar since he's arrived at Brighton. You know, 52 goals in his 16 Premier League games, 3.25 per game. XG um, reliably confirming that that's not um, uh, an outlier, essentially. But the odds that are driving the prizes here suggest we're going to see just 2.6 goals. So, I, again, I think there's a huge disparity there. Um Yes, the last couple of games, Bright, they have been relatively low scoring, but you know, small sample size. Yeah. Um, they were unlucky when they were at home to Fulham when they lost one nil. Uh, don't read anything into cup football where they won one nil uh, away at Stoke. Um, you know, just focus purely on uh, on league competition where you know the motivation is as expected. Um, and you look at West Ham's games. They they have been very low scoring this season, on average just two point one seven goals per game. But in terms of xG, it's up at two point seven three. They're in the top three underachievers in front of goal this season by around nine goals. I think we saw a little bit of that last weekend against Forest with the four late goals in the second half. Well, when they of... turned into nineteen seventies Brazil for about twenty <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Well, you know, Danny Ings got his his first goals uh, and he was rewarded with a start. Uh, Mikel Antonio came off the bench and scored and maybe that's where Antonio's going to do his better work now he's you know the the wrong side of 30 essentially um you know maybe it's a little bit too much to expect him to batter the opposition for sort of 70 75 minutes and still score goals um you know Jared Bowen looked a bit more uh, lively um Moyes has kind of um rotated his fullbacks a little bit. Uh, Aaron Cresswell came on at half time. So maybe he's just making a bit more use of the the players that he's got at his disposal rather than sort of that rigid uh, you know seven or eight consistent players that he was uh, going with. Um and I just think the beauty of backing overs in Brighton games is they're good enough to clear the line themselves. You know, I think uh, backed them when they hosted Liverpool. Um, and they won 3-0. Now, probably none of us expected them to to win 3-0, but by backing overs, you know, that you've got yourself covered there. You know, you don't have to worry if the opposition doesn't um, doesn't contribute. And, you know, overall, it's just three clean sheets in 16, 16 games for Brighton. So whatever you're, if you had any reservations regarding West Ham's attack, you know, it's likely Brighton will give them a chance. Generally, this is quite a goal-heavy uh, matchup. Seven of the last eight meetings have seen both teams score, which is also the same price. So if you didn't fancy overs, you could take both teams to score. I'm more on the former because then you're not relying on one of the two teams contributing. As I say, I think Brighton are good enough to clear the line themselves, but I could understand if people would rather back both teams to score because essentially you only need two goals rather than three. Well, this football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. Big weekend ahead in the German Bundesliga. Massive Friday night game between the co-leaders Borussia Dortmund and their title rivals RB Leipzig. I've heard the main commentator for that game was essentially chosen for his looks uh, rather than his talent. Mark, uh, how is this one going to go? Because Dortmund have won every single game in 2023. Yeah, they're the the only team across Europe to, to do that um, so far. So, um, and I think if they win this weekend against Leipzig, they equal their their club record for is it eight league successive wins on the spin, which will be yeah. Quite... Well, they've already made history by winning nine competitive games at the start of a calendar year. They've never done that before. 
Uh, they're closing in on 11 straight, which would be the records in all competitions. That was under Thomas Tuchel. So, yeah, they're flying. But it's interesting because the first couple of games were a little bit dicey. They wobbled against Augsburg, but got it done late on. Wobbled against Mainz, got it done late on. But the game against Hoffenheim, I thought, was quite instructive last weekend because they won 1-0. And the Dortmund team I know at 1-0 late on in the game goes for the second goal and leaves itself open. No, they played like, you know, a classic kind of Milan side. They kind of walked it into the corners, protected the ball, didn't give much away. There's definitely been a shift there in the last few weeks. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean... I still expect Bayern, I think we all probably expect Bayern to come through strong in the spring. Uh, they always kind of do this to us. They they uh, flirt with us and say there's going to be a title race in the Bundesliga this season. And then come March, April time, they they put their foot down and steam away from the from the traffic, really. But uh, I think Leipzig have got um, you know their own sort of uh, aspirations to be involved in this title race. They're only four points shy. If they were to win away at Dortmund, they obviously could be in the running themselves or will feel they could be. So, yeah, it's a bit of a humdinger to look forward to on Friday. Happy to overlook the, the 1x2 and the handicaps. Instead, just focus on a, a ploy we tend to do when the big teams meet in Germany, and that's to back goals. Um, yeah. It's paid off pretty handsomely in the past. And if you look through the bet builder on, on Betfair, you can back over to enough goals, BTTS, and a goal to be scored in both halves at 1.95, so almost even money. Uh, if you expect over two and a half from BTTS to cop, it's, it's more than likely that we'll get a goal in both halves as well, which just boosts the price up quite nicely. Uh, Results-wise, Dortmund have been very strong since the World Cup. They've scored 25 goals in nine games across all comps. As you say, they've not always convinced, and I still, personally, I'm adamant there's still a little bit of a soft underbelly there when they do meet more uh, astute or illustrious opposition rather than Hoffenheim. Um, I know we saw Chelsea probably dominate that match in Dortmund oh, yeah. in Germany and not get the best of it. But um, if you look at those nine games since the World Cup, five of them actually seem over two and a half goals and BTTS cop, including all three home Bundesliga ties. Uh, and that's despite playing lesser opposition compared to, to Leipzig, uh, who obviously know... Um, need to be on the front foot considering their league position. I thought they were very good in the second half against Man City. Backed it up last weekend against Eintracht Frankfurt with a very strong first half performance. Uh, put under pressure in the second half too. And Kunku fit and available. They pretty much got their, their full forward line fit and available bar Danny Olmo, which is a huge positive. But defensively, we know Peter Galashi is still out, the goalkeeper. But uh, Comrade Lima picked up a, a yellow card, so he's suspended, which will significantly weaken them in midfield, I think, too. So overall, 64% of Leipzig's games have gone BTTS and over in the Bundesliga this season. They've only kept two clean sheets and 11 away from home. If you look at both sides, they've scored in 19 of their 22 Bundesliga games. Seven of Dortmund's 10 against the top half have gone over two and a half. The three that didn't featured exactly two goals. Similar story with Leipzig, eight of their 11 against the top half and over the three that didn't featured exactly two goals. I fully expect both teams to score and we're looking for a third goal to, to complete the bounty. So I think 1.95 by just including that goal to be scored in both halves really appeals. It should be a cracking game from the top end of the Bundesliga to the bottom end of Germany's Premier Division. Emmett, you've got a pick from the Ruhr derby between Bochum and Schalke. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting here. I think we kind of we want to talk to the podcast earlier in the season how kind of how doomed Schalke looked for relegation at the end of January after a six-one battering by RB Leipzig. They'd only nine points from seventeen matches, a miserable 0.53 points per game. They were actually conceding also two point four one goals per game, which is an incredible average uh, through kind of a significant part of the season. Since then, their manager 
Thomas Rice is my apologies if that's the wrong pronunciation. No, but perfect, Thomas good, Rice. Perfect. Good, good, good. And uh, don't be like James Richardson pronouncing Cologne if any if any listener listens to that. Um, if the the, the, the Madras kind of found it kind of a tactical formula um, to make kind of Schalke difficult to beat, they've four clean sheets in their last five matches, including four nil all draws, and they won their yeah, last. I commentated magic. on two of them. Thanks for that, Thomas. <laughs> terrific <laughs> to terrific fair I'm sure but like they they have they, they clearly improved as the team and they won their last match 2-1 against Stuttgart and this week and, they, and they, this weekend they face Bochum who've actually won five who've lost five of their last six matches they've conceded 18 goals in those matches so all told I think Bochum look kind of a vulnerable favourite here at around 248 Schalke look, look, the far, look a far more solid team and kind of anything any, and if you, if you can get odds against on Schalke drawing I bet that that, that that looks more than fair to me I, I think Schalke look potentially a team that could at least maybe get to the kind of relegation playoff in in the Bundesliga having looked totally doomed a few weeks ago. Yeah, the added twist to that game is that Thomas Rice was the Borkum coach at the start of this season, but he was sacked in September. He actually wanted to talk to Schalke about their vacancy back in the summer, but he wasn't allowed to do that. But he ended up getting the job in the end anyway. Uh, back to the title race. Bayern away to Stuttgart on Saturday evening. Again, I've heard there'll be a classically beautiful commentator on the mic for this one. Uh, Mark, Bayern level on points with Dortmund right now, but ahead of them on goal difference but by the time they play this they could be three points behind now I actually think they used that as fuel on Sunday when they played Union Berlin it was one of those classic right we're going to actually show what we're about now and they did it and they absolutely wiped the floor with them in the first half yeah kudos to you Kev you absolutely nailed that match last weekend um as you said, circumstances were, were almost perfect for them to, to really show their teeth against an Union team who'd been in Europa League action just a couple of days earlier against Ajax. Um, perfect bounce back, really, from the defeat to, to Gladbach. And uh, it's now three domestic wins from four since the start of February, plus that away win at PSG in the Champions League. A very good February overall, you'd say, for Bayern. They will have half an eye on the clash in midweek in the Champions League. But um, I'd be very surprised if they drop points against Stuttgart and I'm very surprised as well. We can get Bayern minus one and a quarter on the Asian handicap at 1.94. It means if they win by exactly one goal, we actually get half of our stake back. We only lose half of it. If they win by two or more, we get paid out. Uh, not far off even money. So Bayern's trips to the bottom five this season have resulted in four wins by the following margins. 2-0, 7-0, 2-0, 3-2. The 3-2 came against Hertha and they're actually leading that game 3-0 before allowing Hertha back in earlier in the campaign. They've got plenty of availability and options for this weekend. Uh, there's no reason for them not to be front foot considering the, the title race and, and the situation they're in. Uh, and I think they'll be very eager to put their foot down against Stuttgart, a team who went to Munich and, and picked up a 2-2 draw back in September when a stoppage time penalty denied Bayern all three points. So Stuttgart have got Sosa suspended. Girassi is a doubt as well. Probably expect him to be in the squad regardless. But, you know, their results... Um, have been a little bit worse than actually the performances have certainly suggested this season. But, you know, you could probably compare them to, to Leeds in that sense. Too many errors in both boxes have counted against them. But they're coming into this game with four defeats and five, including at Schalke last time out. They're winless against the top 14. They've taken two points from a possible 18 at home to top half teams. Um, yeah, this just um, very surprised to see Bayern at the price that they are. They're, they're trading at almost uh, one to two and almost 1.5 in decimals. But uh, to back them in the Asian handicap, at minus one and a quarter. You don't often get that against the bottom six opponents. So eager to hear your thoughts on that, Kev. But uh, yeah, keen on buying. Yeah, I think the thing about Stuttgart is they'll get the crowd behind them. It'll be a really good atmosphere. 
it'll be kind of similar atmosphere to the game at Gladbach actually the other day but whereas Gladbach have the tools to hurt a team like Bayern I don't think Stuttgart do they've got a bit of pace with Silas but he's still not the same player he was before his injury and I think they're a bit weedy to be honest they've got guys like Anton and Mavropanos who aren't they're quite tough but it's all very, here's a good young player, we're developing, here's a good young player, they're developing, they get into the league and go, ah, we can't cope with this. So there's been a lot of that. And I think without Sosa, I think they are going to really struggle. Emmett, is that the way you'd see it? Yeah, I, I definitely foresee a corner for the Bayern, Bayern win, but I just think there might be an interesting angle, angle one of, with the way Bayern kind of changed their formation last week. They went back to kind of their traditional kind of 4 2 3 1, where, and obviously had a, a very positive outcome in, in hammering uh, Union Berlin. But Thomas Muller was kind of restored to the starting lineup. He was yeah. playing kind of a second striker role. He had four shots, three shots on target, two assists, and some sitters missed as well. Um, I'd, I'd probably wait for wait for the teams here with Bayern. Obviously, are playing PSG PSG on Wednesday, so they might rotate their side, and they have an extremely strong bench um, with Sadio Mane, Serge Gnabry, and uh, and Leroy Sané all on the bench the weekend. But if currently Muller Muller's around nine to five to score any time, I think he's kind of priced on maybe. It could have playing and playing more of a wide forward could create a role. Whereas I think the role we saw him last week, he's playing more as a second striker who's getting in the yeah. box quite a lot. So in a game that Bayern should dominate, um, yeah, a two point eight score anytime looks more than fair to me. To Italy now, Napoli cruising towards a shock Scudetto win. 18 points clear at the top going into this weekend. And Stinch, I think we're guessing goals again, aren't we? Well, normally I didn't want to be boring again and talk about Napoli and that's not the sort of angle I'm going for here. It's, it's yeah, it's, it is goals and it's because over two and a half goals is the outsider here and it kind of surprises me when they, you know, take on fourth place. Lazio, obviously, uh, I think Napoli will, would like to get the title wrapped up ASAP. They can focus on the Champions League. I think they're a serious Champions League contender. The white but, floor with Frankfurt. Uh, in that first leg, I was, I expected them to do well. I was gobsmacked by how well they played. After the first 20 minutes when they weren't great, once they got going, Frankfurt couldn't live with them, with or without the ball. Yep. I mean, I'm actually in um, planning on travelling to Naples at the beginning of May, and I've already checked when the Champions League semi-finals are set for, and trying to work out when their league match might take place. Um, that's kind of the level of confidence I think. Uh, I think they they will make the semis, and then from there on, uh, you know, you've got as good a chance as anybody else. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not. I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm interested in this game because I expect them to get the title wrapped up. They might. They might take a breather. They might focus on Champions League this week. As you say, you've got an astronomical uh, gap to Inter in second. But yeah, I, ju- I just thought that over two and a half goals, I think, is is looks a bit of value given it's chalked up as the outsider. It's 10 to 11. Um, kind of the reasons behind that maybe. I mean, and we remember last season, every nearly every week on the podcast, we were finding goal bet, goals-based bets in Serie A, and that's kind of dried up this season. It's reflected in the average. The average in Serie A this season is just 2.55 goals per game. So it's no surprise, really, that overs is generally the outsider in most games. I just think if you've got two very good teams in, in Napoli and Lazio, then um, I think 
is there should be a better case for goals than the odds suggest. I mean, remember Syria in previous seasons, 2.87 goals per game, 3.06, 3.04, looking back at the last three seasons. I don't expect that 2.55 to continue. I do think it will increase. I don't think it will be at the same level, of course, because we're, you know, we're two thirds of the way through the season. But when you look at the, these teams in particular, I think there is a better case for goals than the, the average in the league suggests. We look at Napoli, 73% of their overs at uh, in their home games, 8 of 11. If we extend that to all competitions, it's, it's 12 of 15. And uh, Lazio haven't really got a strong trend either way, but when you look at them against better teams, against the against the top eight, five of their eight have been over two and a half goals. And generally, this matchup does normally bring goals. Uh, the 12, last 12 meetings have seen 43 goals. That's wow. over three and a half per game. And 10 of them were over 2.5 goals. And again, similar as when I talked about Brighton earlier, I think backing overs is Nap- in Napoli games at this price point is great because Napoli themselves are capable of clearing the line. You know, they've scored 80 goals in 31 games across all competitions. It's not far off three a game. And Lazio themselves are the fifth top scorers in Syria. And I have got a decent front line in Immobile, uh, Pedri, uh, Pedro, sorry, uh, Zakanya. Um, Felipe Anderson's made a little bit of a return. You've got Milinkovic Savic breaking from yeah. midfield. So I do think Luis there's Alberto a... scored a banger the other day. Yeah, I do think there's a better opportunity of seeing over two and a half goals than the sort of nearly 50% that the odds are suggesting. Um, I was just thinking after you said there, Kev, I mean, I'm probably missing some obvious, something obvious, but can anyone think of any team in one of Europe's major five leagues to be 18 points clear at the top after just 24 games? There probably is some. It's remarkable. Well, I imagine probably Bayern under Guardiola would have done it um, because I I think they won the league in March one year under Guardiola, Bayern. But no, I, I, I can't recall, especially a team that wasn't expected to do it. A team that wasn't even expected to... I mean, maybe some people did think, you know, I got it them completely wrong. I thought losing that amount of talent in the summer as they did, it would at least be a season of adjustment, but not at all. And it's it's interesting they play Lazio this weekend because, of course, they play Maurizio Sarri, who left the club to go to Juventus. That caused a, a big stir at the time. But a lot of the groundwork he did has benefited them now. You know, the money they made in that time, the fact they pushed for the title in that time, the fact that they grew as a unit. I know there's been a lot of change, but I do think he deserves a fair bit of um, credit for that, even though he won't get it. Because when he left Napoli, they held up a big banner and it said, uh, we hate you so much because we loved you so much. So there we go. Uh, So he won't be 100% accepted when he goes back. Now. It's been a tumultuous time in Scotland. Nicola Sturgeon resigning, growing anger that Scotland was dragged out of the EU against its political will. But if anything can smooth the tension, it's Mark O'Hare's Scotwatch. Oh, aye. It's Scotwatch. Mark, the floor is yours. Right, um, a slight change of scene. We love Scottish League 2, of course we do, because it is the best league in the world, but it's been tough sledding there in the last couple of weeks. Um, nothing too extraordinary. Nerved, Mark. What's happening? Well, yeah, we're moving away from it this weekend, um, just for one week only, because I think there's a, an equally 
excellent opportunity, one division up in Scottish League One. Um, I'm essentially opposing two of the worst performers across the entire SPFL. So we're 26 games deep in Scottish League One. Peterhead are rock bottom on 12 points. They've won twice all season. One of those wins came against the side immediately above them, Clyde, who only have 14 points and three wins to their name. One of those wins was against Peterhead, funnily enough, who are below them. So anyway, Clyde are already 18 points adrift of eighth place, Queen of the South. Um, disgraceful efforts, basically, from both sides, in all honesty. They are absolutely appalling. Yeah, you losers. <laughs> <laughs> and they should be relegated immediately. But um, yeah, we're going to oppose both of them, both Clyde and Peterhead, by backing Falkirk to win at home to Peterhead and Montrose to win at home to Clyde for a very attractive 21 to 20, 2.05 in decimals. Uh, Falkirk are five points off the top. They've won nine of 13 at home. They've won eight of nine unbeaten games recently. They're unbeaten since the start of November and they've scored 16 goals in five matches against both Clyde and Peterhead this season. Montrose are in mid-table. They're in pretty middling form. Don't win too often recently, but they've got a very decent home record. Just two defeats on home soil all season. They average 1.92 goals per game at home. They've already won four or five games against Clyde and Peterhead this season, scoring 10 goals. Uh, and ultimately, Clyde have lost 18 of the last 23 league games, uh, 11 of their 13 away, and concede 2.15 goals away from home. So that's the selection. Falkirk and uh, Montrose to win in a home double at 2.05. Uh, but uh, for culture vultures, nothing too amazing. But um, Montrose play their matches at uh, the historic Lynx Park Stadium, which is actually the fourth oldest stadium in the entire SPFL. It was opened in 1887, which is crazy wow. thinking about it. 136 years ago, uh, only Tynecastle and Tannadice in the Scottish Premiership are older. Morton's Ground, Capulo Park and Dunfermline's East End Park are older. So, uh, yeah, pretty historic little stadium there at Montrose. Hopefully they'll get a, a home win this weekend. Now, I can tell you, you won't know this, but producer Jack, absolutely furious that we moved away from Scottish League Two. But because you've given him a bit of historical data, he loves that. So he, he's you've calmed him and charmed him at the same time. So uh, if you can win him over, you can win anyone over. Not just Mark O'Hare, by the way, that can do glamour and stardust. Oh, no, 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 no. Stinch is going to take us. Let's go to the National League first, Stinch. Yeah, I think we had uh, a bit of success on the National League last season. And it's, uh, I'm not sure why it's a league I, I follow closely, but uh, I do quite enjoy it. I, d I, d I think I was before the glitz and the glamour of Ryan Reynolds. So I don't think I'm a bandwagon. I think I You're was. You're an OG. You were there right at the start. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I see it as like an, maybe the unofficial kind of fifth division of English football. I think I quite enjoy that kind of. There's such a huge um, gap between the bottom of League Two and the conference in terms of you only get two going down in League Two and you only get one going automatically up. So I think it's just such, it's such a disgrace. <laughs> well, I don't know I've about never this. understood that. <laughs> I just think it's so important for those like genuine league teams that drop out to get back as soon as possible. But it's so hard to get back, which I think what what, what makes it so exciting and so intriguing. Um, but we've got a, a really, really fantastic title race this season between Wrexham and, and Notts County. I mean, I've labelled them as the two juggernauts of the league and they're absolutely going toe-to-toe -to -toe for, the, for the championship and essentially that one precious automatic spot back into the Football League. 
There's just one point in it at the moment with Wrexham having banged in 88 goals in just 34 games, not to have scored one more in, in one more game. Um, and they're still to play their return fixture, which I think is over the Easter weekend. So that should be a good one to to check out. It should be on TV. Um, but they're both on track to crack the 100 point barrier, which is just, you know, incredible, really, for two teams to do it, let alone one. Um, I don't know County play amazing football, apparently. Somebody was saying that their manager's like the, the Guardiola of non-league or something like that. Don't they play incredible football? Yeah, he plays a, a 3-4-1-2 and uh, he really like sort of gets the, the best out of that that front three. The the guys that play on the on the wings, they're technically wing backs, but they're more like wingers. And yeah, right. just lots and lots of overloads. And I don't think teams know how to deal with it, especially at that level. I mean, I wouldn't teams probably at championship level might might sort of struggle with it. I mean, we've seen Wrexham knock out Sheffield United. Not sorry, they take Sheffield United to a replay. Yeah. Um, um and I, I think I mean, it, it's no, it's no sort of, you know, rewriting, um, rewriting football. But you know, if whichever of these team two teams go up, they will be one of the top five faves to win League Two. You know, that we're not going to be able to find any sort of value there. But it won't be. Yeah, a surprise. you've said this before, actually, Stinch, that that gap between National League and League Two. Do you have that a lot? You have teams that get promoted and then just keep on going. I mean, who have we seen? Uh, Luton. I mean, you look at Luton now. That they're what fifth in the championship. You know, they they were in the the conference not so long ago. We've seen it. Uh, Doncaster do multiple uh, leaps back to back seasons. Uh, I think Berry might have as well. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple more that Mark will tell us. Well, Stockport were favourites to to win the league after promotion, weren't they? This season in League Two, um, Fleetwood were installed as, as League Two favourites after promotion as well. It's quite quite common for the the national if there's a bit of money behind them for them to be, you know, installed straight away as anti-post favourites in League Two after promotion from the conference. Yeah, I love some... that, by the way. Stinch had no doubts whatsoever that Mark would have an answer there, and then Mark didn't even skip a beat. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> I enjoyed that very much. You can basically guarantee you that Wrexham be anti-post fives in League Two as well. I'd say with the money does spend. Ah, there you go. The trader's view there. So comprehensive. Uh, go on then, Stinch. Yeah, so sorry to maybe cut a long story short. Both teams have got so much firepower. Wrexham got Paul Mullen, Oli Palmer, Elliot Lee, who are arguably League One players. They're obviously just down there for the money, um, not for the glitz and the glamour. Maybe a bit of glitz and glamour. I'm sure they've probably been taken to you know America. I think they might be playing in some um, really high prestige friendly tournament in the summer or something uh, I don't know you probably have to watch normal TV to find that um, and Notts County but I think not I, I think I'm on Notts County's side because um, I want them to, I think I want them to do it because I think they've done it the proper way you know I say the quote proper way you know they've signed players from National League North they picked up both of uh, Gateshead strikers in the summer uh, McCurley Longstaff in particular 31 goals top goal scorer in the conference oh he's the Harland of non-league isn't he you can yes. tell that I keep hearing all these bits and bobs right okay it's a superb story. It really, really is. You know, he's, 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 you know, he's come through football the, you know, the hard, long, arduous uh, way, and hopefully they get rewarded with league football. But yeah, he's playing alongside Sedwin Scott, and then just in behind is uh, Ruben Rodriguez. Um, and yeah, as a three, there, they're fantastic. Um, but despite all the foul firepower, both teams still give you a chance at the back with them both averaging just under one goal conceded per game. And I think that's uh, a. I think the reason that these players are at conference level because generally the lower the consistency 
consistency level drops the lower you go down the league. So you might have the best conference defenders in the league, but they are prone to, you know, lapses in concentration, for example. And then B, I think the intense pressure of trying to keep up with the, with the other club, um, you know, Notts County play and they look over their shoulders, see Wrexham winning and that intensity goes up and maybe they attack more and leave gaps at the back. So essentially, I've, you know, they've, both teams have been sort of winning every single week and both teams to win this week is just six to five. But what I've been playing is both teams to win and both teams to score. And that six to five jumps up to over eight to one. Now, if you back it on a, a weekly basis, it would have won eight times a season. And there's been 31 occasions that they've played in the same game week. I think they've play I think as I said earlier Wrexham played 34 Notts County 35 but because of postponements they haven't always played on the same weekend and of course they've played each other once so if you place 10 pound a week for example uh every week um, when they both played at the same uh, the, in the same game week so you would have an outlay of 310 pounds if you're backing it an average of 81 you'd be looking to return this season of 720 pounds Um, let's say there's an average of seven to one. So we take into it because they're both away this weekend. We take into account the bet would be a little bit lower when they're, when they're at home, you get a return of 640. So I believe like, as I've been doing week on week this season, that long-term you will make a profit. And I think this is a fantastic time to get involved because when they face teams in mid table, who have nothing to play for that team won't have the motivation to go and win, but they will plug that team that don't have the motivation will play with a little bit of the handbrake off. So I think there's a good chance that they will contribute to the scoreline, but ultimately will end up in a loss. So yeah, just jumping from six to five to, to well over eight to one, I think it's a fantastic bet every week. So you're backing both Wrexham and Notts County to win their respective games and BTTS in both of those games. Yeah. Right. Okay. You also had a pick from the EFL, did you not? Oh, Mark's shaking his head. Why is Mark shaking his head? Just in amazement. Nah, just uh, Wrexham are going to my boy's Maidenhead this weekend. It's on BT Sport at 520. I was tempted to pop down. It's only a 10-minute walk from me, uh, Maidenhead United. Three wins on the spin at the minute, rejuvenated, clear of the relegation zone. Get down there. Get out the bet cave. And there's a bit bit of buzz around the town. Last year, Ryan Reynolds was at York Road for the Maidenhead United against a Wrexham match. So uh, it's going to be a sold-out ground this weekend. And uh, there's already warnings out about Wrexham fans being in home ends and all sorts. So, yeah, should be a good atmosphere down there. Can you imagine how starstruck Ryan Reynolds will be if he meets Mark O'Hare? Wow, 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 wow. I can barely even comprehend uh, the star power you'll get if those two come together. Stinch, you had an EFL pick as well, did you not? Yeah, this one, I'm probably the worst price of the weekend, I think, for a football team to win. I'm off to Central Bank for Lincoln City v Oxford United. Oxford are chalked up at 17 to 10 here. You know, they're almost almost joint faves, bordering on going faves, and I'm just absolutely staggered by it. Um, they've lost seven of the last eight matches, scoring just one goal from open play, which culminated in the sacking of Carl Robinson on Sunday after nearly five years in charge. It's been truly a woeful recent run, especially within this run. They've played some poor teams, yet still come out on the wrong side. They, last weekend against Bristol Rovers, they were chalked up as 4-5. to five. They lost 3-0. Rovers came into that having lost seven of the previous 10. Weekend before, they were 6-5 to five away at Cambridge, where they lost 1-0. Cambridge had lost 16 of the previous 23. They were 17-10 to 10 away at MK Dons, where they drew 1-1. MK Dons got the worst home record in the league. And they were 6-5 to five away at Burton Albion, where they lost 2-0. And Burton Albion were in the relegation zone at that time with just three wins in 16. Oxford kept just three clean sheets in 34 games this season. 
you watch them and they lack a cohesive plan. They were top scorers in the country two seasons ago. I remember the last season on the podcast, we were back in overs in their games and yeah, they score yeah. over 1.5 goals. They scored a lot of late goals. You could almost guarantee they would be scoring late goals on a regular basis. Completely different now. They loaned out their top goal scorer, 20 goal Matty Taylor, to relegation rival Port Vale in January, which seems very bizarre. Um, they lost 36 assists in their summer departures. They failed to replace the guys that were creating the goals. Um, they lack a proper defensive midfielder to break up play. They've conceded the most goals on counterattacks this season. Um, nearly 40% of their goals have come from set pieces, which is no surprise because, as I say, they're failed to, failing to create good chances from open play. Yet Lincoln have conceded the fewest. So, that you know, that's, that, that's another route that I think Lincoln will stop them this weekend. I can't claim to be uh, as knowledgeable on Lincoln as on Oxford. There's just one defeat in 11 for Lincoln. They've actually suffered the fourth fewest losses this season in the league. They draw an awful lot of games. Um, they've got a very good record, Lincoln, against Oxford. They've won five of the last six home matches. And Oxford are likely not to have a new manager in charge. And it's just the old coaching staff that are taking over. So I would be surprised to see a, a change in fortunes because Carl Robinson literally changed, tried everything and it, it didn't work. A um, couple of goal scorers I was looking at as well. Um, Oxford have conceded uh, to an opposition defender in five of the last 13 um, as that sort of lack of cohesion has sort of come even more to the to the fore. Uh, Lewis Monsma. Um, was a fantastic goal scorer and defender a couple of seasons ago. Um, he picked up a, a bad injuries, but he's now returned. Um, however, he's only nine to two to score, which is incredible given, uh, you know, nine to two for a centre-back. Um, given the fact that the, the game is in for quite a low scoring game is, is an incredible price. Um, but on the other side of the of the team, uh, Oxford, Cameron Brannigan, who's their top goal scorer this season, he's four to one. Um, I just think like, those prices are, are massively wrong. Monsmer should be double figures. And I would say Cameron Brangan closer sort of three to one. Uh, he's on penalties. He's just been appointed captain. Um, so he might have a, a point to prove. Well, now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a betting feature so revered that it is rumoured that Eric Ten Hag used it to fund his entire collection of Rolnecks. How this works is that all three of the guys have a selection each ahead of the weekend's action and delightful traders like Emmett here uh, wrap those up for you in a boosted treble. And Emmett, I will start with you. Um... No brilliant candidate this what weekend. What do you mean, so, um, You know this is coming. <laughs> I know, I know, I know it's coming, but it was, I, I was kind of uh, just, my, my, I don't have quite the enthusiasm as I usually do. I'll go for, to kind of, to give, to give the treble a kind of a, a, a a decent boost. I'll go to Ollie Watkins and score any time at, uh, at 15 to 8 for Villa against Palace. No erms allowed. Right, Mark O'Hare. Uh, I will take uh, Montpellier. Just said no erms allowed. He starts oh. with an erm. Disgraceful. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> uh, Montpellier to beat Angers uh, on Sunday in Ligue 1 for all the reasons I will explain on Sunday's show, which, as we know, is where all the cool kids hang out. It is. 100% that's where the cool kids go. And Stinch, take us home. Uh, I think I failed to mention my bet in the Lincoln-Oxford game quickly. It was Lincoln draw no bet at 4-5. to five. And for the treble, um, over 2.5 goals in Brighton v West Ham to keep some Premier League kick in the treble. 
Lovely stuff. That's all we have time for, sadly, on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. As uh, Mark has alluded to, we have a very good Sunday show coming up, including a look at Liverpool against Manchester United. Lots of other picks from the Premier League and beyond. From Mark, from Stinch, from Emmett and from me. It's goodbye for now.